Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Hearing in Colour with Matt Simon. Today I'm going to be talking about the energy of alcohol, the spirit of spirits. My theory today is that alcohol is linked to the spirit and the energy of the place and the people and the culture there, but possibly your impressions are prejudiced by your opinions of that culture. For example, rum, everyone knows it comes from the Caribbean and has associations with that, but do your preconceived ideas influence how you experience and enjoy the drink? It'd be very difficult to do this experiment where you give someone who doesn't know anything about the alcohol, the history, or has never tried it before. Maybe you could give that to people who um, have been living out in the jungle their whole lives, but everyone in the developed world, let's say, pretty much knows that vodka's from Russia or that part of the world. Uh, Caribbean, rum, Scottish whiskey. So it's very difficult to drink it completely independently of all those cultural references. So let's start with beer because that's something that I know a lot about and I've drunk a lot of beers. Interestingly, in Chinese traditional medicine, Chinese culture, some foods are referenced as yin and yang. So yin is the cooler, darker, more feminine, more receptive, creative energy and yang is considered the more masculine, warm, outgoing energy. So some foods, which would be like cucumber, mint, yogurt, peppermint, are considered cooling, uh, have a cooling effect on the body. And then other foods like alcohol, spice, red meat, are considered yang foods to take in. I'd also consider, well, I've heard it referenced that Beer has a feminine energy, which is cool and refreshing, which is perhaps why it appeals more to men. And then wine has a warmer energy, which would be more masculine, which is why possibly it appeals more to women. It's an interesting idea, but there's more to it than that as well. Beer, because it's weaker in terms of the strength of the alcohol, comes in bigger portions. And sometimes people like that, like you want to drink a solid pint and on a warm day, a cool drink can be very refreshing, whereas a smaller beer would be less so. And... Generally, if you have a lot of beers in a row, you need to go to the toilet more than once. This is known colloquially as breaking the golden seal, although I'm sure there's other expressions where you come from. Wine, you need to pee less, basically. So you'll be going to the toilet less, um, it'd be a bit more socially continuous, and you don't feel as bloated when you have it or when you've drunk a lot of it. There are other effects, but for beer, if the guys just want to pound loads of beers, go to the toilet a lot, doesn't really matter, burping a lot doesn't really matter, feeling bloated, not so bothered because uh, it's more like you enjoy having the impact of something on your system whereas maybe for some women that would appeal a lot less. I'm making broad generalisations here but it's just for the purpose of discussion. Beer comes in many different flavours and colours, more so than wine, especially now with the craft beer scene just exploding and I'm sure that pretty much every country now has a craft beer scene saw a video and it was done by the Greenwich Meantime Brewery, which is based in London. And they had a sommelier, so wine expert, come and they said, these are going to be the dishes we'll serve and you can pick any wines that you like to match with the food and I'll match some of our beers to the food. And it was about a 60-40 split on in favour of the beer because people felt that there's more variety in the beer flavours uh, to complement the food. That's just one experiment, but it shows that there is a mass of flavours and it's just a huge range of beers. Traditionally you go from like a light lager up to a stout but now beer gets super strong up to like 15-18% is imperial stouts and there's some really fruity ones like fruit sours and beers can literally be any colour now from pink, orange, purple, dark red as well as well as traditional yellow to black. 
I think that the two main factors of what the beer will be like in an area of the world is accessibility to ingredients and the climate. Take somewhere like Spain or Mexico where it's very warm. You generally want a lighter, refreshing beer and generally with a bit more gas in because they're quite refreshing and the carbonation, the carbon dioxide gives a little bit of a dry bite on that, makes it nice and refreshing. If there are colder countries, then perhaps you want a stronger beer with a bit more flavour in as well. Um, some of the dark beers, Scottish beers can be very dark and rich, and then beers around the Baltic, Baltic Porter as a style. So stout is a type of beer like Guinness, and Porter was named because it was drunk by porters from the hotels would come in and drink these beers. Nowadays, Porter and Stout is generally interchangeable. It's a dark beer where the grains are roasted, which gives it the black flavour, and generally they can be very strong. And Imperial Stout just means very strong, and that's generally my favourite style of beer at the moment. In the UK, the southeast of the UK is the warmest part, and this is Kent. And this was also known as the Garden of England. They used to grow a lot of hops there. So when you make beer, there is the grains, barley, and these are basically, just going to summarise quickly how it's made, basically heated and it extracts the starch, the sugar out of the grains, then yeast is added. The yeast will then turn the sugars into alcohol and carbon dioxide, and this has a, a multi-flavour to the liquid. Then the hops give the bitter citrus flavours on top. In my experience, beers from Kent tend to be a little bit more hoppy, maybe it's cheaper to buy hops there because they're grown more locally, than compared to beers up in Scotland where it's generally a bit more malt heavy. So obviously it takes more time and effort to get the hops up there. So I think partly because of availability of the ingredients and also the climate can affect the, the nature of the beer. Recent developments in beer is barrel aging the beers like you do with wine and this can impart an oaky, slightly caramel flavour. It's generally done with stronger beers. Um, you don't normally get a barrel aged beer that's below around 8 or 9%, although Innocent Gun uh, was one of the first to do that on a commercial scale. So generally you can have a very strong beer which is around 12-13% and very rich coffee flavour, really nice. And then if you age it in barrels, and <coughs> bourbon barrels are often used because it gives a caramel flavour to the beer which works well with the coffee. And it can just add some depth, some warmth to that. Some of these beers are amazing. And it's interesting to think where the next innovations of beer are going to be. Uh, some beers are aged in different barrels, things have gone a bit more fruity. Um, yeah, wonder where they're going to go next. This is all very interesting, but when you get a beer which is a, a barrel-aged imperial stout around 14%, it's almost a different drink to a lager that's around 5%. I wonder if it should be given a different name because you're basically in Shiraz territory there. So yes, I do like beers, are very refreshing, I like the fruity ones as well, but then when you have a really dark, rich beer that's as strong as a wine and it has that warming effect, is it still a beer? Has it transcended to another uh, another area, another energy? Because it is a beer, it's basically made from the same ingredients, which is barley, hops, yeast and water, but it's got a different energy to it, to a lager. So the location obviously has a huge impact, or I assume it does, on the production of the alcohol. In French they have a word called terroir, which sums up the the spirit, the soul of the place. If you took some grapes and you sent some to New Zealand and you sent some to Chile, you'd expect the wine to taste a little bit different because you've got different people making it, there's different nutrients in the soil, the climate's different, so all that is summed up in the word terroir. 
this has been partly debunked and some people say that with wine the skill of the winemaker possibly has a greater impact on the taste and the quality of the wine than the area but surely it has some impact the location and that's what i'm talking about today some people prefer chilean reds spanish reds new zealand reds um most people who drink wine yeah will probably be open to most types of them but they'll have their their certain favorites and is this purely on taste or is it from memories of holiday or they particularly like the place wine is a very universal thing but if we take rum as an example again if you have a rum drink or rum cocktail does it remind you of something tropical uh, when you're drinking it definitely some of the branding um things like captain morgan or got a very sort of caribbean feel to it and then bacardi trying to go for like a spanish latin american type thing and yeah when you're selling a product that you're buying into the, the ethos the idea of that product but vodka advertising for example is very different to rum advertising i think about tequila where most people think of that they associate that with parties madness and quite often being ill afterwards let's start with a slightly unusual one mead some people think that mead is a type of beer or it's drunk by the vikings or dwarfs mead is a wine that's made from honey to make alcohol you need a sugar source and this can be grapes barley honey fruit anything like that in this case is honey it's literally honey and water and the honey has been turned into alcohol and it is absolutely delicious i remember looking at uh, an old-time recipe as it old time this is thousands of years old the recipe was basically get some honey some water and then leave it out in the sun for 40 days and wild yeast in the air will ferment it the term honeymoon apparently comes from tradition where a newly married couple would drink mead every day for the first month they get married which is a good idea by me so mead is a honey wine it ranges generally from about the 10 to 14 15 mark it can be quite refreshing and there's other additives like lavender you can get sparkling mead generally it's quite a thick uh, viscous liquid as you'd imagine from made from honey and it's quite rich and warming like wine because most people don't really know what mead is i guess they would have not many preconceptions about mead if you haven't tried it definitely go out and get you some it's really nice i've got some for my birthday which has chili in so chili and honey that is excellent okay let's move on to vodka I'm sure that everyone listening to this podcast knows what vodka is and there's a high chance that you've tried it. Vodka is interesting because it's the only alcohol on this list where the idea is to take as much of the flavour out as possible, which is impressively utilitarian. Mentions of vodka appear earlier in Poland than Russia, and the word voda means water. In French, the diminutive, which is something you add on a word to make it a small version, is often et, so a disc and you have a smaller one, which is a disquette. In Spanish, platito is a small plate. They add the ito on the end, or ita for feminine. In Russian, they'll put a k in the middle of the word, so vodka means little water. Not sure why they did that, because it looks like water, but it's water with balls. It's fire water. It's literally two of the elements firing water together. I'm sure someone could have come up with a much better name than little water. Anyway, so vodka can be made from many things, usually from grain or potatoes. So the starch source can be the grain or the potatoes, which is then mashed up, water's added, yeast turns some of the sugar into alcohol. Now, yeast can only normally turn alcohol up to about 14% like wine, and then it dies because it's an alcohol-rich solution. 
that you can get something called turbo yeast, which can brew up to about 20%. If you want to make alcohol stronger, there's a few different methods. Uh, the one you usually use is distillation. So it's heated up and then concentrated down. The alcohol has a lower boiling point, so this comes off first. And you need to make sure that you leave off the top about 10% of the alcohol because you get methanol as well, which is produced. And that basically can send you blind. And this is why moonshine is super dangerous because you're supposed to get rid of that. And then the next part that comes off is ethanol, which is safer to drink. This gives you a solution which can be around 89% alcohol and then water is added to make it drinkable. There are many different ways to consume vodka. It's very much a blank palette because there's not much flavour in it, just that alcohol. And But if you've had good alcohol, so good vodka, it does taste different, it feels different on the mouth. It's called the mouthfeel. And it's a lot smoother. You can water it down in cocktails or have it straight. And I've been lucky enough to travel a lot because I used to work on cruise ships. And when I was in Russia, I went to St. Petersburg. And one of the stops on the tour was a tourist shop. So they're obviously trying to sell us stuff and have some vodka. And they gave us some stuff which was quite nice, or maybe tourist level nice, but it's definitely better than your average like Smirnoff and all that kind of garbage. And I was like, well, I'm a connoisseur, so I sipped it. And the guy said, no, 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 you have to drink it all in one. Do the shot. So oh, give me another one. It's 11 a.m. So I had another shot. And that's generally how it's consumed over there in shots. And often chilled as well. You can have it with ice, but that will dilute the flavor. So it can just be chilled and then drunk straight. If you haven't been to Russia, what are your impressions of the place? What would you expect to find? It is vast. I've only been to a couple of places, but it's a huge country and there's definitely a sense of scale there. Um, for me, the language sounds very strong uh, as well. And this, I do think some countries where they have stronger weather, the language can be stronger just phonetically and just people have to be a bit tougher to survive there. There's some incredibly impressive architecture and if you think of the culture, like the music, the literature, just fantastic. Strong spirits are drunk all over the world, but you can see how in a place like Russia where it does get cold in the winter, a warming shot of vodka would be, well, you know, very much appreciated. Not all day, but it'd be, it'd be a good thing to have. But for me, just a chilled straight vodka, it does have a certain iciness about it. There's warmth because of the alcohol but there's that icy element because it is generally served cold as well some drinks are served warm like tequila if you've had vodka you've definitely had some cheap garbage but there are some excellent brands out there and it does feel different like more care has been put into the manufacturing and a friend of mine had some polish vodka that was it was almost like rich and a bit viscous and it seemed like it was going down my throat slower, like in a more stately manner. It just took its time. And I'm going to expand on aging drinks uh, later on and how that affects the energy of it. I really enjoyed going to Russia and meeting the people there. And sorry, I haven't talked about Poland with vodka because I haven't been there. I have some nice Polish friends who are probably rolling their eyes at this point. I have to just point out that one of my favorite cocktails is a white Russian. And if you haven't had one of these, they are delicious. It's Kahlua, which is a coffee liqueur cream and vodka and it basically tastes like a naughty little chocolate milkshake it's extremely easy to drink and it's just gorgeous and my wife makes excellent white russians okay so let's go on to rum so what comes to mind when you think of rum probably heat in some form you might be thinking of the heat in the juice <laughs> the devil juice or just uh, the area that it's come from which is the caribbean and again fortunately i've been to the caribbean quite a few times and had some rums there I haven't 
really experience a lot of the Caribbean culture because when you work on a cruise ship, you stop somewhere for the afternoon, basically. And usually it's quite a touristy area. So I have been there a bit. Rum is made from molasses, which is a byproduct of the sugar industry. And they basically were working out what to do with these leftovers. And eventually they turned it into alcohol because it's a sugar source. And this was called something like Devil Kill initially. And yeah, it was pretty uh, spicy. Eventually then that got more refined. And yeah, rum is from the Caribbean. It's made from sugarcane and it's sweeter than vodka. And connoisseurs don't generally go for the spice rum because it's got stuff added into it. It's um, generally would go for like just the more the pure flavor of the rum. I was in the uh, Dominican Republic and we're on a beach. <laughs> yeah, not a flex, but like we just were. And we said to the barman, we want something really local. Um, we said, yeah, like this has been made like over there. And um, what's it called? And it was this really dark rum. Um, it was served in just a glass with some ice and then just a straw. <laughs> okay. And it was like drinking a tree. Uh, at 40 percent that's really good stuff so he asked what it's called and he said makushery and i've still got a bit of high school french kicking around so the machery means like my love my darling and couche means sleep with but dorme means sleep but couche is more go to bed with someone like nighttime fun so makushery is basically uh, a melding of the words for my darling that i go to bed with which i thought was pretty cool uh, you'd get this kind of advertising on rum, but I can't imagine vodka having something like as jokey, although there must be some brands, but generally it's marketed a bit more serious, a bit more, um, again, a bit more like a blank slate. You can do what you want with it. Obviously, you can make lots of different cocktails with rum, but it's already got its own flavor, which then adds something else into the drink. Drinking rum can make you feel a bit like a pirate at times. If you had to list all the alcohols in terms of which are the most fun, Rum would probably be near the top, but why is that? Time for a quick ad. Do you like free money? Who doesn't? Sign up today for a free crypto.com debit card and you and I get $25 each. Also, you get between 1% and 8% cash back in crypto. Link in the show notes. Right, moving on to another one that's got almost legendary status. Absinthe. Now, absinthe likely tops the naughty list for most people and can go from 50 to 80 or even just above 90% alcohol content, which is savage by anyone's standards. When associated with bohemian art scene, generally people going a bit crazy, and it was also known as the green fairy. The green colouring comes from wormwood, which is used in the production, and it's rumoured to have hallucinogenic properties, but these have generally been a bit exaggerated. When unscrupulous producers were trying to make it on the cheap, instead of using wormwood, they used sometimes copper compounds to give it the green tint, and it would be this which sometimes sent people a bit mad. But also, just drinking large amounts of excessively strong alcohol would not be good for you anyway. A lot of people are, rightfully so, a little bit afraid of absinthe because it is so strong, and it's got this sort of myth around it. A friend of mine was quite keen to try it. He said, well, I've heard that it makes it hallucinate if you drink the right amount. Well, yeah, but I'm sure that hallucination point is very close to hospitalization point. I've got one here called Diablo that I got in Gibraltar. It's 87.5%. When you drink it, you do feel a bit like you're dancing with the devil. A friend of mine came around. She had some. I was like, yeah, yeah, I can drink a lot. I'll have some of that. And she had that. I was like, oh, my God, that is something else. 
So what have your experiences with absinthe be? It's a fun but dangerous energy to tap into. All right, next up is whiskey. Uh, you must be very familiar with this and have an opinion and some experience with whiskey. Invented in Ireland, uh, perfected in Scotland, so the saying goes. Again, massive broad generalizations, but Irish whiskey is generally a bit smoother, uh, mixes well in cocktails. Um, Scotch, as they call it in America, or Scottish whiskey generally can be a bit harsher, a bit more peaty flavors. But what is peat? Peat is partially decomposed plant matter. It's basically this mud. And in Scotland for the whiskey, what they do is they burn this to dry the barley and it gives the barley that's made the whiskey a very smoky flavor. And depending on the style of whiskey, this can be anywhere from a light smoky flavor to burning tire factory in a glass. Whiskey can be very smooth, can be very, very intense. And if you've ever been to Ireland or Scotland, or if you know where it is in the world, basically the Atlantic winds come across and they hit Ireland and Scotland, you know, it's like the north of Europe. It's it's pretty cold up there and some of the winds can be cold with horizontal rain. And given that sort of weather, although it's of course not every day, you can see why people would appreciate a really strong, hearty drink. There are other alcohols which are stronger, like of course absinthe and overproof rum, but whiskey does seem to have a sort of substance to it. Like I was generalizing with all the people in Russia, people who live in countries that have colder climate there's a certain toughness or resilience to them that you again I don't want to compare that to um, LA but it was quite interesting on the Joe Rogan podcast he said that he appreciated growing up somewhere like it was Boston where it gets cold because if you're always in a warm place I think he was talking about LA there's a certain hardiness to the people that just isn't there Edinburgh is a beautiful city and if you go to the castle which you probably have been to if you've been to the city it's on the top of a rock and the general energy of the place, it's quite raw and strong. There's just a kind of real good energy there. And the people in the accent as well, it's a very strong accent. It's like, hey, laddie! It's a grounded and strong way to talk. Compare that to a London accent, which is more like I have right now. It's very different. Some bottles can go for five-figure amounts. Absolutely crazy money. But if you had to list which was like the classiest drink or which are some of the best drinks in the world or which would deserve a higher price tag whiskey and especially scotch uh, just has this uh like esteem about it it's got this um like provenance and history beer can be made start to finish in two weeks but whiskey needs to be aged for years in the barrels it comes out clear colorless and then when it's aged in the barrels that gives it that distinctive yellow color Beer can be made start to finish in two weeks, but whiskey takes years because it has to be aged in the barrels. It comes out clear and colourless and then acquires that yellow colour because it's been just sitting in the barrels for years. I like to think that because it's taken a lot of time to make, the bottle is saying to you, we took our time over this, so you take your time and enjoy it. For me, there's something slower and more accomplished about it. Now, any discussion about alcohol cannot leave out tequila and mezcal. Tequila is like the crazy uncle of the liquor cabinet, with mezcal being his nutty homeless friend. Tequila is heritage protected, which means it has to be made in the Jalisco region of Mexico, and there's a town called Tequila. It has to be made from the blue agave, whereas mezcal can be made from other varieties of the mezcal plant. Because mezcal can be made from different varieties of the plant, it can have a slight different flavour, and it's generally more smoky, more earthy, and it's really interesting. I definitely recommend that. 
It's also important to know that if you've had tequila, you've probably had very bad tequila. Tequila by law has to have 51% agave and the rest can be made up with industrial alcohol and all sorts of rubbish. If you want good tequila, it has to have 100% agave written on the bottle and it will be proudly displayed if it is. This is a different drink. I mean, Jose Cuervo, the Sierra thing, just absolute garbage. Real tequila has a, like a herbal, peppery, floral, sometimes uh, flavour. And it's, it's a different drink. It's a, a good, good spirit. It's really nice. It's like um, a premium vodka is similar to a premium tequila. It's a completely different drink to that garbage that people drink at parties. And the, the whole salt and lemon thing. If you need to have all these extra bits of fruit and other things, yeah, it can be fun, but generally you'll be doing really bad tequila with that. If you have good tequila, you want to sip it like a whiskey, and it's really nice. It's served neat and warm, but it's good tequila is a good spirit, and you can just sip that, and it's really nice. I'd really recommend actually trying something. If you go to a Mexican restaurant and they have three types of tequila on the menu, chances are they'll be Jose Cuervo, which is rubbish, Patron, which is not as good as you think. It's overpriced for what it is. If there's a third whis whiskey, tequila in there, try that one because that will likely be a proper one. Tequila has this um, myth about it or this energy. People think tequila, oh, madness, crazy parties. And generally, things do get pretty wild on tequila. I think because people just want to. I used to work with a teacher and she said that, oh, tequila hits the same part of the brain that cocaine does. How do you know that? Is it just tequila or does all alcohol hit the same part of the brain that tequila does? But I can't stress this enough, you haven't had tequila unless you've had tequila with 100% agave on the bottle, and do yourself a favour and get some. The Native Americans harvested the heart of the agave plants and they made this into an alcohol called pulque, which was generally beer strength. It's only when the Spanish came over they wanted something stronger, so they introduced distillation and this way we have tequila. Tequila has to be distilled twice. Comes in different varieties. There is blanco or silver, which is basically just the fresh produced and completely clear and colourless tequila. This has a generally more peppery flavour, quite herbal. Then you have reposado, which means rested. So this has been rested in barrels and it has a slightly yellower colour, a bit more mellow. And then you have anejo, which is aged, which is a slightly darker colour and again a bit more rounded, a bit more caramel flavour, really nice. And then you have extra anejo, which is aged a bit more. These are really nice. This is almost like um, a planty herbal whiskey flavour. It's really, really good. I haven't really been to Mexico. Like I stopped in a tourist port for the afternoon, so that doesn't really count. I'd love to go and explore the culture more and eat some proper Mexican food. Mexico, people think of like crazy films, crazy people, and I wonder if people tried a good tequila without knowing anything about Mexico. I wonder what they would think of the drink. Because... It can be very well made, very well produced, and quite warming and calming, like it's got quite a sophistication to it. So I think that if people only experience that in a more sober situation, maybe it wouldn't have this crazy uh, myths about it. Although there is a story of an Aztec god who gave birth to 400 drunken rabbit babies, so there is that. What I'm saying is, I don't think tequila is as crazy as people think it is, but many people have had crazy memories, myself included, of wild nights out and tequila was involved. Alright, from Mexico to Japan. So, according to Wikipedia, sake can mean any alcoholic drink, 
but the beverage called sake in English is usually termed Nihonshu, meaning Japanese alcoholic drink. This is made from rice and is generally up to wine strength about 15 to 20%. Because it's made from rice, not grapes, it has less of the fullness and the richness of the flavour that you would get from, say, a French wine, but still pretty good wine. And I really appreciate it when I got there to Japan because we'd gone out for a meal and it tasted a little bit bland on its own, but then with the food, it really came into its own. For me, this is a bit like Italian lagers, which are very light on flavour, but they're expecting to be served with Italian food, which is gorgeous, so you don't want too much flavour to cut across the beautiful flavours of the food. The Japanese also make some top-rated whiskey, and it's, um, it's just like you'd expect from things in Japan. It's very well made. Very smooth, very drinkable, excellent. Um, Nika is one of the brands. Uh, if you can try some Japanese whiskey, do. It's really nice. And the vibe I got from that was like a polished calmness. Quite Japanese. All right, let's hop over to America to discuss bourbon. Bourbon is a type of whiskey, but it's made according to strict regulations, which are including it has to be made from a grain mixture that's at least 51% corn. So Scottish whiskey is made from barley, but bourbon is made from corn, which is a bit sweeter. It has to be aged in new charred oak containers and has to be distilled between 40 and 80% strength. Bourbon is an American drink, so perhaps when you drink bourbon, it makes you think of American things like cowboys, the blues, muscle cars, questionable foreign policy. Most bourbon is made in Kentucky and some in Tennessee, including Jack Daniels. These are southern states, and perhaps that fills you with images of the, the deep south of America. Perhaps someone in the south would be more likely to drink bourbon, and someone in a metropolitan bar in New York would go for a vodka martini instead. Or not. But I feel these are cultural presumptions or preconceptions that people have when drinking these drinks or selecting them. Apparently it's also been used for medicinal purposes, but find me an alcohol on the planet that hasn't at some point been used for medicinal purposes. Very strange things have been used for medicinal purposes, including the expression blowing smoke up your ass. Apparently that was a cure for some uh, maritime illness, recovering from drowning. One of the uh, doctors on board suggested, yeah, literally blowing smoke up someone's backside. Uh, I can only imagine what sort of things he did on his downtime. Gin is fun. That's had quite the resurgence recently. Uh, it used to be known as Mother's Ruin back in the old days in London because people would prioritise that over the well-being of their families. Gin is very strong but almost universally drunk with a mixer. I've got a friend, Daryl, who runs a blog called The Gin Devil and he will try all sorts of things straight. But it's got a, a lot of heat on it so generally people, when they want a gin, it's something quite floral and refreshing. Uh, it's made with juniper berries and lots of botanicals so it's got a generally like a light delicate flavor with the usually mixed with a tonic which got some bubbles in so it's considered quite a delicate refined thing another fizzy one being champagne or sparkling wine so it can only be called champagne if it's made in that particular region of france fizzy wine made in italy would be called prosecco or carver in spain in england we just call it sparkling wine no one else really drinks English sparkling wine. So unless you're very rich, champagne is only usually drunk to celebrate things. Um, I mean, Prosecco is quite a party drink, you know, it's a little bit less expensive. But champagne, I mean, people feel it's an occasion and they're tapping into that, oh, this is French, mm, very posh, we're, we're being very classy at the moment. 
Are you though? Is it just because it's come from that region of France? Obviously, there is very, very good champagne, but just because it's a sparkly wine, does that necessarily mean that you are a bit posh? I'm not going to go into every single type of alcohol, but just a few other mentions. So, brandy, which is often considered um, an after dinner thing, uh, brandy with cigars, and it's consumed again in a slow manner. And it's all oh, this is quite fancy, some brandy and port as well, not exactly a chugger. So, often had at Christmas or with cheese. These are very different drinking events to something like vodka maybe or beer or tequila. So in conclusion, what I'm saying is your drink choice is, is it possibly based around the energy of the place that you think you're tapping into? People drink for many different reasons. They could be taking the edge off the day, just want a little bit of a buzz or complete meltdown. Sometimes you want to disconnect, maybe disconnect from the world for a little while or just disconnect a little bit from all the stress. Sometimes you might want to connect with some friends by having a party, having lots of drinks, but then you're also in a way disconnecting a little bit from reality. I'm not criticizing or judging this in any way. I've done it many times myself. Some people say that different alcohols affect them in different ways, like, oh, tequila makes me go crazy or people fight a lot when they drink Stella. But in Vino Veritas which is Latin for in wine truth, which means the alcohol merely brings out what was already there. But much like you choose different foods, depending on how you're feeling, the indulgence of alcohol, I think you, you do in a certain way tap into a certain energy of it because that's what you want at that moment. A refreshing beer is very different to a glass of absinthe or something. Thanks for listening to that long ramble. Uh, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And do let us know what you think in comments, messages. I'd love to hear what you think. If you'd like to earn money with no effort at all, simply by having your phone on, the data's being sold around the world anyway, and the Tapestry app helps you take a cut. Link in the show notes.